Hey everyone, and welcome back to Behind the Spacebar. This is episode 21, how to improve your in-ear mix without spending any money. If this is your first time here, Behind the Spacebar is a podcast that goes live every Monday, 10 a.m. Central, and it's for music directors, musicians, playback techs, really anyone that uses Ableton Live on stage to perform with. Uh, this is not your first time, and you're coming back. Man, thank you so much for being here. Um, this is such a fun podcast to do every Monday. It's a cool space to have space and time to talk about stuff that that isn't necessarily a tutorial video. I just, I, I'm having a blast. It's one of my favorite pieces of content to record uh, every week. Now we're at the tail end here of a three-part series all about in-ears. So we started this series talking about why your band should use in-ears. Um, last week we talked about how to transition to using in-ears. Uh, and today we're talking about what I think is maybe my favorite piece of this, which is um, how to improve your intermix and how to do it specifically without spending any money. So I've got seven tips for you today uh, that I want to share that uh, will help you improve your intermix again, no matter what type of mixer you have, no matter whether you're doing wireless in-ears, wired in-ears, whatever it is, um, and without spending any money. Okay. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, let's dive in. So tip number one is reset your expectations. One of the first things I teach people when I'm starting to, to teach and talk about uh, using in-ears is the idea that we're using in-ear monitors, not in-ear listeners. Now that sounds really stupid. You've never called something a listener before. But I think one of the mistakes we often make is we um, plug our in-ears in and we expect it to sound like a polished, mastered, uh, finished recording, like CD quality, uh, streaming quality. You know, you, you've listened to a song and it just sounds amazing and it sounds perfect. And then you pop your in-ears in and it sounds awful and you're super frustrated. Well, the thing I always remind people is, well, the goal of this is not to sound CD quality. The goal of this is to monitor. The goal of this is to uh, appropriately hear enough of things so that we can perform well on stage. If you're a worship leader, the goal is to hear the band on stage, hear the other vocalist, um, hear the congregation to respond um, well enough to to you know lead people in worship well, as opposed to sounding like the CD. Now, to contrast this idea, there's been a couple times I've been in a conference and I'm talking about Ableton or I've talked about in-ears. I will say uh, just a couple weeks ago now, I was at an Ableton event here in Austin. And um, every time I teach, no matter what I teach, undoubtedly someone ask a question about in-ears. And so that came up uh, at the Ableton, Ableton event. But at events previous where it's like me and maybe a band or an artist, uh, and it's kind of like either a panel thing or I'm talking and they're talking. And um, almost always someone will, again, will ask a question about in-ears. And when it comes time to the, the band folks, uh, the musicians, the artists, people ask something about in-ears, you know, how they struggle with the in-ears. And um, a couple times now I've heard these artists say, well, the trick is you've got to make it sound just like the CD. Like you want to have CD quality in-ears. And I go, man, that's terrible advice. And here's why I think it's terrible advice. And here's why I think they think it's good advice. As these artists are traveling with monitor engineers that they have handpicked people that are trained and all they do for a living or the majority of what they do for a living is to listen and to mix in-ears for artists. And they have someone who listens to their in-ear mix and tweaks it and they EQ it and they compress it and they do everything to get it just right to make it perfect. So uh, undoubtedly, they probably do have a CD quality style mix. They, they probably do have a mix that sounds just as good as the record, um, but the rest of us it takes a little more to get there because we're not trained in mixing. We're not uh, professional trained mix engineers. 
And if that's the scenario you're in, I would highly encourage you to reset your expectations from CD quality excellence to monitoring. Now, monitoring doesn't mean it has to suck. doesn't mean it has to be bad. It just means the goal is to monitor, to hear things appropriately on stage. Okay. Tip number two, keep both in-ears in. Now, I empathize with you. I particularly feel bad for you vocalists out there, but you should keep both of your in-ears in. I think we've talked about this in previous episodes. Um uh, I even talked about this a couple weeks ago at that event in Austin when we got the question about uh, in-ears and monitoring. But you should keep both your in-ears in. Here's why. If I take this in-ear out, I am now, I'm no longer isolating. So if I leave both in-ears in, um, I am isolating. I'm using custom in-ears. And so those molds are isolating the noise around me. If I take one of my in-ears out, one ear is closed off and one ear is open to the surroundings. Now, this isn't bad when I'm here in the studio. I mean, there's not like sound around me. You know, I'm not hearing a, um, a large guitar amp or bass amp over my shoulder, or even worse, a drum set over my shoulder. It's just blaring audio into my ear. But if I am on stage, I now have this ear that is great and it sounds really good. But um, I am opening this ear up and I'm hearing a full band behind me. Now that full band is super loud. It's way louder like this with my ear out than it is with my ear in. So what do we do? We turn up the volume of this in-ear to match the volume that we hear here, right? It's it's really, really odd to have this at a lower volume than what you're hearing here. And this is always going to be louder again than when your in-ear is out. What ends up happening is you turn up this in-ear louder to compensate to match that particular volume that you're hearing without your ears in. And that's super dangerous. It's bad for your hearing. I've also heard stories of uh, singers and musicians like passing out on stage and ending up getting vertigo because their balance and their equilibrium is thrown off uh, by having one in-ear in and the other one out. So I know it's difficult. I know it's tough. I've got two tips up front here um, really quickly that will help, particularly for you vocalists. If you've never experienced this before and don't understand why vocalists struggle so much with in-ears, then put your fingers in your ears and just talk. And what do you hear? You kind of hear it like rattling around in your brain you you hear it in these these uh these bones almost um and it's like you hear double of yourself it's a really really odd feeling like i i don't love singing with in-ears thankfully i don't sing very often if, if at all anymore um but when i did it was it was tough to do with in-ears i'm not gonna lie so that gets me to tip number three uh for vocals here's a couple tips you can use add effects to your in-ear mix so um particularly as a vocalist you you drop your in-ears in again you hear like double of yourself i guess even for me talking now it's like i kind of hear myself in my head i'm not listening to myself in my in-ears that's a weird weird experience even now if i really think about it but what can really help particularly when you're singing is add effects to your vocals. So as opposed to just singing and hearing your vocals super dry, uh, you know, if you take your ears out and you sing, you hear the reverb in the room, you hear the way your vocal is responding to the room. And so what I would suggest is work with your sound engineer, or um, if you don't have a sound engineer, maybe you're at a church and you're the sole person, you're the person doing it. Take some time on a Saturday, take some time on a rehearsal Thursday, where you could go behind the mix, put your ears in, and uh, try singing and then turning some reverb up in your in-ears so that as opposed to just singing to a dry vocal, you are hearing your vocals with reverb, with effects. Sometimes people will put delay in there as well too. Um, but you want to work with your sound engineer to make sure the pre-post settings are correct on this um, uh, so that, for instance, when you talk, you typically don't hear reverb. The reverb ducks out of your ears and you just hear uh, your, your mic dry. 
And then when you sing, the reverb comes back in. So it feels like, again, you're not singing to a, a dry, empty room, but you'll have to work with your audio engineer. It's a little outside of the scope of, of, of this podcast episode to dive into that. Uh, but for vocals, consider adding effects to your vocals. That will really, really help. You don't want to go crazy with it, but it's going to help you feel like you're not singing to a completely dead, empty space. Um, number four, uh, add audience response mics. Now, uh, yes, I'm cheating because you may have to go buy this. You may have to go buy some shotgun mics, some condenser mics, and place them strate strategically in your room. But if you happen to be in a venue, you have to be at a church, and you've got some extra mics sitting around, um, try placing them in your room. You want to be careful to not put them like right to where they just pick up the speaker, because then you're just basically hearing the, the front of house speakers, you know, back into your in ears. But try placing them, you know, side of stage, pointed out. This will really help. This will really help you gauge the response of the room, right? Um, I see this with worship leaders a lot, trying to connect to the congregation. I see this with lead vocalists trying to connect. I mean, even like in, in a small club that's like a 200 cap room, it's not a big room. Uh, you, you'll see vocalists pull their in-ears out to hear um, if the crowd's singing, how the crowd is responding. Um, if you're just talking, I mean, that's not the end of the world to do, to pull your ears out and and um, uh, you know, gauge the response uh, of the room. But what's even better is if you can leave your in-ears in and you can add some really nice room mics, then you can really start to fill the room. Now you want to be careful that you bring these, um, you know, up in your room, uh, in your inner mix enough to gauge the response of the room, but not up so much that it muddies up your mix. That's a mistake I see a lot of people make is they, uh, throw uh, room mics up and either they're placed improperly so that you're just basically hearing the speakers um, and the output of the speakers, which is not helpful, or they turn them up so much in the mix that um, uh, it, it just muddies your mix up and you can't hear anything with clarity. So you want to be really, really careful with that. Okay. So that's tip number four. Uh, now tip number five, I've got a, got a video clip here for you uh, to play this, to uh, start this one off. I declare bankruptcy so what i want to suggest that you do uh for tip number five is to declare mix bankruptcy and what i mean by that is essentially a start over we're going to start over from scratch um i often see this happen uh, a similar thing happen when you're in the studio when you're recording you're producing uh and you're going to create a mix and uh, you create your mix and you feel like it sounds really good. And then you like go out to lunch and you come back and you realize it sounds awful. And then you start tweaking a few things and eventually you take all your effects off and you go, hey, it sounded a lot better when I had no processing or effects on it. Sometimes it's better just to declare mix bankruptcy. You literally start over and you set everything to zero. Okay. Now, once you get to that point, here's what you need to do. You need to do tip number six. We talked about this, I believe last week. So it's going to be a bit of a refresher, but I'll go quickly. You need to apply my quick mix tip. Okay. This is something I apply. Uh, I remember a few years ago flying out to San Diego to play uh, at a friend of mine's church and I talked uh, an Ableton session and then it was like, Hey, after the session, we're going to do rehearsal. And I still like have this panicked dream to where, um, I didn't have enough time after the Ableton session and I couldn't set up beforehand because of what was happening in the auditorium that I had to like run from my Ableton class to go set up for rehearsal. And I, I made it halfway through and gosh, it was just such a disaster. And I wasn't supposed to wear jeans and I was supposed to wear a dress coat, but no one told me. I mean, I still have nightmares of <laughs> like replaying this in my head. But one of the things that happened is I showed up on stage to, on a stage I never played with, with an amp I've never played with. And I had to plug my pedal board in 
plug my guitar in and get get tone and get levels and I, I got there and it was good but then I had to mix my in-ears and they had little Avion personal monitor mixes uh, at that particular stage and setup uh, and so that's what I had to use but again I had no time we had no sound check well they had a sound check I didn't because I was teaching the Ableton class so when I rolled into that situation what did I do I really quickly applied this quick mix tip here we go uh, so we said already set everything to zero Next, set your master volume for your in-ear pack, for your Avion, um, uh, for your aux going to your ears, whatever it is, set that to 75%. That's going to give you plenty of volume so that you're not getting hiss and you're not amplifying hiss uh, in the signal. It's going to give you plenty of volume, but it's going to give you some headroom, meaning you have about 25% between 75 and 100. You have about, I'm good at math, see, you've got about 25% range there to increase beyond what you're currently at, which is good. We want to have a little bit of headroom. But I would say set your master volume at about 75%. Next, you want to turn yourself up in the mix. You want to make sure you hear yourself well enough, whether you're a vocalist, um, whether you're a guitar player, whatever it is, you know, play your guitar. Does it respond? Does it feel right? Get your EQ right on your guitar amp. Work with the audio engineer to make sure that feels right and sounds right in your ears. If you're a vocalist, again, that's where you want to take some time and think about the, the reverb and effects. If you can add those in and communicate with the audio engineer to make sure they have that. All right. But we want to bring ourselves up. Next, we want a timing reference for most modern bands. And I hate using modern because sometimes it sounds offensive. Like if you're not modern, you're like out of date and, and older. But uh, most bands now, this means using a click. For your timing reference, you want to bring your metronome, your click up loud enough so that you can stay in time with that. Um, if you're not using click, it's most likely going to be your drummer. Uh, but you want some sort of timing reference, right, to keep you in time. If it's drums, you're, you're going to want kick hat snare mainly to start with. You know, we're going to deal with cymbals and toms later. Kick hat snare mostly if you can. Once we have our timing reference, the next thing we need is a pitch reference. If you're a vocalist, typically this would be like piano or synth, something that we know is going to be in tune or should be in tune as opposed to like an acoustic guitar or electric guitar. We want something so it doesn't feel like we're like performing as a solo performer with nothing to base our pitch reference on, right? We want to make sure that we are in pitch as we sing, as we play. Um, and so we need a pitch reference. So everything is zero. We set our master to 75%. We turn ourselves up. We feel comfortable with that. Next, we bring up some sort of timing reference. Next, we bring up some sort of pitch reference. Then the next step is to bring up whoever you're locking in with or blending with. So if you're a bassist, you're going to bring up the drummer. If you're a drummer, you're going to bring up the bass. If you're limited on time and the drum mix is bad, if you're a bassist, you're going to bring up the kick drum so you can lock in well with the kick, right? You have to make decisions here. If you're a, a rhythm player, a guitar player, you're going to bring up the other guitar. Uh, and you want to make sure you're not bringing everything up to zero. You kind of want to level things up, almost like a mixed pyramid, if you will. So uh, next, we're going to bring whoever you're locking in with, blending with. For vocals, this is, uh, if you're the lead vocalist, you'll bring your BGVs up lower than what you are at, but you start bringing them up to where they're a good level to where you can sing and still hear them, but it's not like at unity with what your vocal is. And then finally, bring everything else up, everyone else up accordingly. But here's what I mean. Like, again, don't just bring everything up to zero or you're causing the same problem again. You want to bring it up, you know, to where there's just maybe uh, if we think of 100%, uh, maybe we have 20% of everything else kind of blended in. Based on your scenario, that may mean you want to bring tracks up more. You may want to bring click up louder. You may want to bring, you know, two of the three vocalists up, three of the three vocalists up, you know, bring the acoustic guitar and whatever. Or you may want to cut instruments. When it gets, again, super uh, out of time, uh, this last step for me is I kind of just 
uh, slowly kind of work it to go, okay, I need some room mics. Okay. Too much. Bring those down. Um, you know, it would be nice to hear acoustic, uh, too much. Okay. Bring that down and finally land somewhere that feels good. Finally, tip number seven, as we start to wrap up here is use panning. So if you're using a stereo in-ear setup, that means you have the ability to have left and right sounds and move them kind of in the stereo space. Well, what we do with volume is we're bringing things up and down this way. So we're creating space this way, right? We have this much space. We place this here, place this here, and maybe place this here. We're filling out space up and down. With panning, we're filling out space left and right. So what you can start to do is say, okay, um, I am singing. I'm looking here. I have a vocalist here and a vocalist here. What I would suggest if you have independent control over them is take this vocalist and pan them so they're over here in your left ear. Take this vocalist and pan them so they're in your right ear, right? To make that a, a little easier to where it feels right. You know, I know there's systems like Clang, where as you turn, it kind of repositions, whatever. It's like spatial audio. But essentially, just basic in-ear system, just pan based on what you, you see on stage. Uh, for drums, adjust your panning. Particularly for drummers, work with the sound engineer so that as you play your toms, you hear, you know, doo, 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 as opposed to, like, hearing it. I, I don't know that I could represent this as well, but as opposed to hitting your high tom and you hear it, like, far left in the back of your ears like that spatially just doesn't relate right and that's going to cause you to struggle to play but volume is up and down panning is left to right this is going to give you room in your mix so things that aren't as important pan them out to the right if you have stereo content like keys pan them to to the right to kind of clean up space in the middle keep uh sub heavy content bass heavy content in the middle keep your kick in the middle um, but experiment with pan. And I think if you do that, you're going to find some really, really helpful um, uh, ways to clean up your mix really, really quickly. Now, if you are someone who's looking to perform on stage with Ableton Live, to use tracks on stage with Ableton Live, I've got a bunch of free resources that I put together for you uh, to help you do this um, a lot easier, to get up and running a lot faster than trying to do this on your own. To get access to those, head to from studio to stage.com slash free. It's from studio to stage.com slash I've got a link in the show notes and then in, in the description of this video if you want to check that out. These uh, free resources are created from resources that cost hundreds of dollars and they're completely free to you. It's a great way to get started. Everything from click tracks to time code and everything you could possibly imagine in between, you'll find there. So make sure you head there to check that out. And if you enjoyed this podcast, again, we post new episodes every Monday at 10 a.m. Central, but I post new tutorials. I have a podcast on Thursday for worship leaders that goes live, um, but I post new content every single day, 10 a.m. Central. To make sure you see that, hit the subscribe icon to this channel uh, so that you're subscribed and hit the bell icon so you're notified when I post new content. What I keep telling people to do is download the YouTube, YouTube app on your phone, look over and when that notification pops up, if it's something you're interested in, click through and watch. And if not, ignore it and you could catch me on the next one. But I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week. Thanks for watching and listening to this episode of Behind the Space Bar. We'll see you next Monday, 10 a.m. Central. Take care, everybody. Bye.